This is 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I suspect my co-host Jeff Braun is particularly revved up. Oh yeah, Vin Diesel and The Rock are back for another joyride in The Fate of the Furious. I'll have a review of the year's best movie a little bit later. (laughs) Already declaring it. We're also going to discuss this week's insane episode of Survivor. And we've got a laundry list of TV bullet points to cover off, including... The season three debut of Better Call Saul. First, it's the news. From the couch. Now I know what you're thinking. How did this happen? Well, it's a long story. That is Marvel's God of Thunder. Thor. And he is in trouble in the first teaser trailer for his next film, Thor Ragnarok, which has proven to be a record-breaking trailer. It is the third Thor movie, the first one in 2011, which is one of my favorite titles in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That was quickly followed by Thor The Dark World in 2013. I didn't mind it, but it was not as well received. Now, four years later, we have a teaser trailer that wants to make sure that you know this is going to be more fun than that last Thor movie. First, we see Thor is wrapped up in chains and he's in a tough spot. Next, we meet Kate Blanchett as the goddess of death, Hela. Asgard is dead. She's gotten herself out of jail somehow and she is mad and she banishes Thor to some godforsaken planet which is ruled by Jeff Goldblum. What have you brought today? Tell me. A contender. It's main event time. Seems Goldblum runs himself a gladiator business, and Thor, after they cut off his long blonde hair, is now one of those gladiators, and his first opponent is a familiar face. He's a friend from work. It's the Hulk. When the trailer debuted on Monday, it became the most viewed Marvel trailer ever for the first 24 hours. 136 million views in that first 24 hours. That's not only the most viewed Marvel trailer for the first day, but it's also the most viewed trailer for the whole Disney family, including Marvel, Pixar, Disney, even Lucasfilm. The most viewed trailer of all time for the first 24 hours is Stephen King's It which was seen 197 million times a few weeks back. In the meantime, the trailer for Thor Ragnarok is a smash hit. It looks great, and I am pumped for the release date of November 3rd. My name is Piper Chapman. Time to say goodbye. I carried a suitcase of drug money once, ten years ago. Do you know about all this? She failed to mention the lesbian lover who ran an international drug smuggling ring. That's all good. You were a lesbian? At the time. Smile. I wasn't ready. Tough It's just like the Hamptons, only horrible. 
That's how Orange is the New Black began back in 2013, with Piper being thrown into Litchfield Prison, where she's still working on that sentence for being a drug mule. Season 5 of the popular Netflix drama-slash-comedy begins this June, and the trailer was released this week, and it's a different bird than we've seen before. Season 4 ended with a cliffhanger, the beginning of a full-on prison riot, and the trailer is basically the first minute of the first episode of Season 5. Dea has a gun pointed at two guards, a crowd is gathered around her, and they're egging her on. Then it cuts to Piper and Alex walking down the hall, turning the corner, and seeing the commotion. We are laying low, and we're staying out of trouble. That's right. We see trouble, we turn around and walk the other way. We are out of the business. This is real, right? This is a real riot. If this is a real riot, do you think this is a step forward or backwards for equality? I don't care. We're getting out of here now. Come on. And then cuts back to Dale with the gun. The picture goes black and we hear the gunshot, but don't actually know if she shot anyone or fired up in the air or what. Seems like a strange trailer, but the good thing is we have no idea who may or may not survive this ride because there aren't any clips from later episodes, and this whole season will apparently take place over just a couple of days as opposed to weeks or months like other seasons. We'll find out what happens next June 9th. Hopefully somewhere along the way we'll get some more creative writing out of Crazy Eyes this year as well. This piece of writing is obscene. It's pornographic. No, it's not just sex. It's love. It's two people connecting with four other people and aliens. Something in the mist! Shut the doors! Shut the doors! That is from the 2007 film The Mist, based on the novella from Stephen King that was originally published back in 1980. Here's some random trivia about that movie, by the way. The supporting cast included two actors from The Walking Dead, Lori Holden, who played Andrea, and Jeffrey DeMunn, who played Dale. Fast forward from the movie in 2007 to a TV series in 2017 about The Mist. Its first trailer debuted this week. Do not fear. I woke up in the mountains and couldn't even remember my name. Lock the doors! What was it? What'd you see? We can't stay here. We gotta go now. The Mist, if you're unfamiliar with the story, is about a town that is suddenly covered in a dense mist and as you heard, there's something in it. The novella and the movie basically took place in one spot, the grocery store. They've changed that for the show, expanding to several lockdown locations. I believe this is Judgment Day. Your God's not here. Arrowhead, Arrowhead, do you copy? I felt something. What did you feel? That it knew me. Did you hear something? That's what it does. Screws with your mind. It has a large cast, including Francis Conroy, who has been in all of the American Horror Story seasons. The cast also includes Isaiah Whitlock Jr., whom you might recall from The Wire. Think I'm gonna be the scapegoat for the whole damn machine? She. When you walk through the garden. This new TV adaptation of The Mist 
debuts June 22nd on Spike. There's something in the mist. Brett, we have to go back. We have to go back, Brett! Oh no. Guys. Where are we? They come, fight, they destroy, they corrupt. It always ends the same. It only ends once. Your mother is another. Why do you find it so hard to believe? Why do you find it so easy? It's never been easy! Well, good luck, brother. Seeing another life yet? You guys got any milk? Oh, no. What's wrong? You need to tell me now, Richard. How do I get off the island? We haven't talked Lost in ages, and some interesting news came out this week about the controversial finale of the best show of all time. I have information that you need. I have answers. Nope, not that. No answers. But remember the big fight between Jake and Fake Lock in the finale? Sure. Who's Jake? Jake? Did I say Jake? <laughs> Jake and Fake. Jack. <laughs> Jack and Fake Lock. Uh, showrunners Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse wanted that final epic battle to happen on an erupting volcano. They've been planning it for years. There's a reference to volcanic activity on the island way back in season three. It also would have fit in with all the cork metaphors throughout that final season that the island is literally keeping a lid on pure evil destroying the world and Fake Lock was going to make the island blow its stack. But in the end, it simply cost too much, Lindelof said this week. They also remembered that the climatic battle in Revenge of the Sith takes place on a volcano planet and the TV Lost version would have looked much worse in comparison. So in the end, it was a blessing in disguise. And now, a montage of Desmond saying, brother. You all right, brother? Oh, your excuse about me, good brother. So what does that mean, you then, brother? Good luck, brother. And I don't know about you, brother. I'm not so sure about that, brother. Can I ask you a question, brother? I'm afraid I missed that, brother. Don't mind me, brother. 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 You're wasting your time, sister. The end. My favorite part of that first montage that you made was how it's everything's so serious and then there's, <laughs> do you have any milk? Ben, remember when Ben asked for milk? <laughs> It was no. one of the creepiest moments in the whole. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was a, a, a funny... It was a funny, creepy, boom, uh, cliffhanger, not cliffhanger ending, but just a exclamation point at the end of one episode. It was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Up next, we are going to... What are we doing next? Fate of the Furious? Sure. Okay. Fate of the Furious, reviewed by Jeff Braun in moments. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Going to review a movie now. I saw... This week's big new movie, The Fate of the Furious. All right, team, listen up. This crew is about family, but the game has changed now. Dominic Toretto just went rogue. Take the wheel. What? This is crazy. Ah! All right, you get style points for that one. Woo! The Fate of the Furious, starring Vin Diesel and The Rock, of course, as well as regulars Tyrese, Luda, Michelle Rodriguez, this time new to the series, is Charlize Theron. Did I get it? Theron. Come on. <laughs> Henceforth known simply as Charlize. Jason Statham and Kurt Russell are back. Clint Eastwood's son is in this one, as is British Meryl Streep, a.k.a. Helen Mirren. It's directed by F. Gary Gray. He's the guy that made Straight Outta Compton a couple of years ago. And you really get what you pay for with the Fast and the Furious movies. They are exactly as advertised. And this one, the eighth in the franchise, is no exception. What's the story, you ask? Who cares? 
but here goes. A global a global cyber terrorist called Cypher, played by Charlize, targets our heroes for reasons that are eventually revealed, specifically Vin Diesel's Dom Toretto. She makes him come work for her, doing terrorist jobs and the like as part of a large master plan. The rest of the gang, led by The Rock in Diesel's absence, has to go after him to stop her evil plan and find out why he's joined her. They try to make something of it looking like Dom is turned on them, but that part's actually pretty weak. Nevertheless, that's sort of the basic setup. The Fast series loves to bring back characters from previous movies. This one, no exception. I'll only tell you about the one they show in the trailer that they bring back, and that's Jason Statham. He was the bad guy in the last movie where he and The Rock had a great fight. This time, Kurt Russell, a mysterious and very powerful government agent, decides the gang needs Statham's skills to carry out their mission, so he makes Statham join the team. And The Rock hates it. A lot of the comic relief in the money comes from, or in the movie rather, comes from those two guys just sniping at each other. The other comic relief comes from Russell training his protege, Scott Eastwood, who is very dumb. And of course, from Tyrese Gibson's Roman, who has long been the main comic relief in the series. He's always cracking wise or being the butt of other people's jokes. And it's always a lot of fun. Ludacris gets stuck spouting all the techno babble in a vain effort to make the plot make sense. It sort of makes sense in the Fast and Furious way of Sounding plausible when they say it, but if you really take a second thought about it, it starts falling apart on you. Luckily, what they do is they blow something up every other minute, so before you have a chance to think about what they just said, they're on to something new. And that's why we're here anyways, the crazy action. And the fate of the Furious does not disappoint on that front. You would think that these movies would not be able to keep topping themselves at this stage of the game, but they do. They have you're, You've seen parts of the major action sequences in the advertising, but the full scenes are far more impressive. I do wish they would have left the New York stuff out of that last trailer. That was so wild and would have truly blown my mind if I didn't know any of it was coming. One thing the trailers do not do justice to is the prison fight involving The Rock, Statham, and a prison full of guards and inmates. It is a beautiful ballet of hand-to-hand combat led by Statham's grace and pure action coolness and the fact that The Rock is a human behemoth. I think that was my favorite scene in the whole movie, and it was by far the most low-tech scene, or the cheapest one, the less, le- least destructive as far as you know, cars and stuff go, because there weren't any. Charlize, I thought, was a great bad guy. She comes across effectively as a menacing evil genius and only gets more menacing and evil as the movie goes along. She clearly has great fun joining this insanity. The only knock is that almost all of her scenes are like in her bad guy lair, which is like a dark room uh, surrounded by computers and stuff. And it's on an airplane, but whatever. She's sort of, you know, in other places via the technology she has, but she herself is pretty stationary. Although it turns out a lot of action ends up happening in that lair. Uh, after the prison fight, my favorite fight, I think, takes place in Charlize's base of operations. There are quite a few legit twists and turns along the way, too. Uh, If I sound like I'm being real vague about some of the people, places, and things, it's because there are actual real surprises in the story. Uh, Again, they may not make the most sense if you stop too long to think about them, but they do make things a lot more fun and interesting along the way, and they sort of represent this extra degree that these Fast and Furious movies try to reach for, for no real reason than to actually try to be a better film than you would expect them to be. Like, Triple X didn't do it, didn't even come close. But I feel like the screenwriter for these ones, I forget his name, but he writes all of them, he just sits at his desk, you know, shakes his head at all of Vin Diesel's ridiculous demands, and then tries harder on the rest of the movie to try to compensate for them. And there is stuff in this movie where you think to yourself, yep, that's just Vin Diesel's ego. You know what I mean? Like, there is stuff that's like, wow. So, I, I, I wish I could get into it, but I can't because it'll... 
end up being spoilery, but yeah, it's, it's got the, the stamp of Vin Diesel all through it. In the end though, we all win cause it's just that much fun. It's number eight in the series and, um, I'm going to give it four couch cushions out of five. I will say it doesn't have, you know, the emotional punch of number seven, but that was to be expected because the last one dealt with the death of Paul Walker. On the other hand, this one has what I assume are, you know, Vin Diesel's first screen tears. Uh, they're pretty glorious. They're very fake, but still <laughs> glorious. They don't pack any emotional punch except uh, laughter is an emotion. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, he's going to pretend to cry on screen. Oh, I can't do it. <laughs> Those are the fakest tears I've ever seen. And uh, I think in the, the run of things, I would put this one as my third favorite, Brett. Third favorite. I think Fast Five is still the best one. Okay. Because that, that was like a tight, uh, that was like the Ocean's Eleven one, right? Yeah. Where they first brought the whole gang back together, and that safe scene was in, just nuts. Yeah, it was super ingenious. The Fast Five was actually the first one of yeah. the series that I had ever watched, and in I, I often wondered, well, would I like Fast Fury? What was the sixth one called? Just Fast and Furious 6. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fast 5 or F- Furious 7 was pretty cool. This one looks good, so I think I will check it out hopefully yeah. this week. Still to come on the Couch Potatoes, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of TV stuff, including Better Call Saul's magnificent return, and this week had an incredible episode of Survivor. We will get into all of that up next. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Braun, we are the Couch Potatoes. We're going to first have a quick look at what is coming to home video this upcoming Tuesday. The only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. Who is that? Maybe she can help us. Don't worry. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows what you're here for. He listens to me. What's that, Jeff? Ooh, that's James McAvoy in Split from our good friend M. Night Shyamalan and Ding Dong. A critical and commercial success. Is he out of director j- prison now? I think so, because he previously had The Visit, which was a really sort of low-budget kind of, just a sort of innocuous yeah, movie. But, but people dug it. Yeah. It was. Uh, it got decent reviews. It had so, made some decent box office, and Split did even better. And uh, I genuinely want to see this, so that's available DVD, Blu-ray, and on demand. Yep. What else is uh, there? Michael Keaton starring as Ray Kroc and the founder about uh, the beginnings of McDonald's. Uh, on Digital HD, nothing big this week, but uh, out on Netflix, um, The Return of Mystery Science Theater 3000. People that were into that back in the day are stoked that there's new ones out on Netflix now. And uh, Adam Sandler has a new Netflix movie. Of course, he's... That deal, how many was in his deal? Like six or eight or something? I don't know. Anyways, he's got one that's called Sandy Wexler. It's his newest one. Okay. So both of those were uh, released on Netflix this this weekend. And now let's tell you, we want to talk some TV. We completely forgot to mention it last week that it was coming up. Season three of Better Call Saul debuted on Monday. Never bad to be early, except in death and taxes and some other things. Free for breakfast tomorrow? I cleared my morning. What's our next move? Don't think I'll ever forget what happened here today. You will pay. You destroyed our family? You have me now? Is there anything else I can do for you? Better call Saul. I just love this music that they used in one of their promos. Uh, I wish that... The theme song's pretty cool, but I could listen to this on an endless loop all day long. I can't remember the theme song. I haven't seen an episode in two years, so 
So I, I've got some catching up to do. I, I really like season one. Missed season two. It's on Netflix now. I got to catch up to that. You yes. haven't watched I've, season two yet? No. And I got season the first this first episode of season three sitting on the PVR, which will be uh, what gets me going on the Netflix to watch season two, so I can get to because you know how I like to keep a clean PVR, Brett. Oh yeah. Whereas mine is always <laughs> at always at risk of uh, overflowing. It's at, I think ninety six percent right now. Oh. oh yeah yeah yeah. That's right. Yeah. You remember that now? Okay, well, I, I won't get into anything that happened in the episode then. I'll just simply say that, first of all, if you missed it this past Monday, AMC is replaying the first episode on Easter Monday before they air episode two. AMC tends to do that with all their big shows. They'll yeah. replay. The Walking Dead would always replay last week's episode before this week. Uh, well, the Americans does that as well in Fargo, so FX, that, FX also does it. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I'm super happy this show is back. Starting a bit later than usual. The last couple of years it started in February, uh, but this year it started in April. Uh, it's the prequel, if you're not familiar with Better Call Saul, it is the prequel to Breaking Bad, which featured a scuzzbag lawyer named Saul Goodman. In this one, his name is is Jimmy McGill. I believe that's his name. Yep. Slippin' Jimmy. And he's <laughs> he's not yet a scumbag lawyer. He's kind of a kind of a slippery one, but he is well intentioned. And this is his journey to how he became that scumbag lawyer, Saul Goodman. So uh, it's been in, among my top five shows each of the last two years. I think in 2015, it was my second favorite show of the year. And last year it was number three. It's been described as TV's best prequel and that it stands right alongside Breaking Bad. Statements I completely agree with. The craftsmanship on display in this show is just tremendous. It's got such great camera work. One of the things that they do in this show, Jeff, and uh, you'll notice it in season two, and again when you watch season three, is the fact that they'll just hold the shot. Like, they'll set the camera up yeah. on a tripod, and it's often for, like, a, an establishing shot or a longer shot, but they'll just hold the camera there, static, for, like, 30 seconds to a minute and just yeah. let the action play out. And it's... It, Draws you in. Better Call Saul, probably going to be in my top five once again this year. Although it has a number of contenders up against it too for that top five. Season three of Better Call Saul began while season two of one of my favorite shows of 2016 came to an end last week, the alien invasion show Colony. We stay together. That's how we survive. I'm so scared. Rebellion is brewing in this camp. We are already pursuing advanced security measures for a new way forward. I can't live like this. I had to act. Why isn't this block at war? Why aren't people fighting for their lives? It's only the beginning. For the last 13 weeks, Colony was my favorite show. Was Pardon me. I just burped. Colony was my favorite show on television. It was the show that I looked forward to the most. And now that it's gone, I'm sad. It aired Thursday nights on Bravo. Hails from the USA Network in the USA. It stars Sawyer from Lost and Lori from The Walking Dead or Sarah from Prison Break, whichever you prefer. Co-created by Carlton Cuse, who is the co-genius behind Lost. He's also the guy behind Bates Motel. He really makes good television. And the series finale for Bates Motel, by the way, is coming up soon, April 24th. So Colony is a show set in a world where aliens have invaded, but it's still very much a show about people 
Aliens just happened to be there. Season one was good. It made my top 10. Season two was great and will likely be in my top five. You can watch season one, by the way, on Netflix. And the last four episodes of season two are available at bravo.ca in case you're getting caught up. Another one of my top 10 from 2016 coming to an end this upcoming week. Season two of the space show, The Expanse. Stars are better off without us. Earth and Mars have pushed themselves to the brink. And whenever that happens, Belter's always lose. Someone was testing a weapon. It will tilt the balance of power in favor of Mars. Are we going to just keep eating shit from Earth or are we going to take them out and end this? There are people in my government who are willing to take us to the brink of annihilation. It's treason. Are you scared? I'm angry. The Expanse is based on a series of books. It's been described as Game of Thrones in space, or Battlestar Galactica meets Game of Thrones. It's a cool show. Set a few hundred years into the future, we've managed to conquer space and have colonized the moon, Mars, the asteroid belt, and some of the moons of Jupiter. And everyone wants to kill each other. Earth hates Mars. Mars hates Earth. The Belters hate them both. It comes from the Sci-Fi Network in the U.S., airs Wednesday nights uh, on space in Canada. Highly imaginative, great visual effects for a TV show, and it actually takes the science seriously for science fiction. For example, somebody from Mars simply can't just come to Earth and be normal. They have to take all sorts of medication and stuff to acclimatize themselves to our planet, or they face all sorts of problems. I just really dig this show. It's got the space adventure stuff, political intrigue, scheming, science fiction, even some scary stuff that would make Jeff Braun cry. It's not the best acted show on television, but I'm more than willing to forgive that because it's just cool. Season finale this upcoming Wednesday on Space. Also, another sci-fi show wraps up next week. Season two of The Magicians, which was in my top 10 for 2016. Another show based on a series of books. It's about post-secondary students at a magic school. Really imaginative. The first season was neat, uh, but the second season has not been as good and will not be in my top 10 for 2017. Uh, two of my very favorite shows since the end of Breaking Bad start up again this week. They weren't on my list last year because they weren't on last year, but in both 2014 and 2015, they were one and two. Starting on Sunday on HBO, it's the third and final season of The Leftovers. On the seventh anniversary of the sudden departure, the rains will come, and with them, a great flood. I'm not Jesus. I'm not saying you are, but uh, the beard looks good on you. This is a show where 2% of the world's population mysteriously disappears in the blink of an eye, and everyone else, the leftovers, have to deal with it. It's uh, been dark, it's been just amazingly great, and we got eight more episodes starting this Sunday on HBO, and then on Wednesday on FX, the third season of my other favorite show, Fargo. What can we do for you here, Ray? Do you still owe me from what happened when we were kids? Ray? No, I'm talking to my brother. Happy to help, really, but where does it end? No tip? Oh, yeah. Get a real job. Fargo, of course, is the FX anthology series inspired by the Coen Brothers' masterpiece, Fargo. And it's, you know, crime stories in the upper Midwest back in the day. It, I think this one takes place actually not too long ago, in 2006 or something like that. So that'll be fun. It's a cops and robbers thing. It's weird and funky and violent. And I'll just quickly tell you about some other shows that are either 
ending or beginning this upcoming week. Sunday, the Good Fight finale, that airs on the W Network. That hails out of the CBS All Access online thing. Girls series finale on HBO and Veep season six debuts. Monday, 24 Legacy finale on Fox. Two Broke Girls finale as well. Series? Uh, is it series? I'm hoping. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea. You know, that last check, I don't know that it had been renewed, but I yeah. I don't know because I don't care. Right. Thursday, the Blacklist spring premiere is on uh, Global. And Friday, on Netflix, Bill Nye saves the world premiere and then Girl Boss premiere also on Netflix. Up next, we will discuss Survivor. Something incredible happened this week. We'll get into that next. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Jeff Braun. We are the Couch Potatoes. Even if you don't watch the show, there's a good chance that you are familiar with the music we are playing right now. What show is it from, Jeffrey? Survivor! 34 seasons this television show has been on. This is the Game Changers season. It's still consistently a top 20 performer in the United States and in Canada. Still one of the most watched shows, I think... The most recent ratings, it was number two, but before that, it was number one. So it's always top five. Yeah. And they've been on a real roll the last, what, at least two years, huh? Yes. Like, four last four seasons have been just top notch. Yeah. Every season has, like, since season 30 has been not just yeah. good, but great. And they seem to be getting better and better yeah. as just, they go uh, along. Somehow hit uh, hit their stride once again. They, there's peaks and valleys when you're on for 34 seasons, but... They're enjoying a nice run right now. And this week, something crazy happened in Tribal Council. Spoiler alert, we're going to tell you what happened. Jeff Varner, back against the wall, trying to save his own skin, and he does this as he's targeting Zeke. There is deception here. Yeah. Deception on levels, Jeff, that these guys don't even understand. There's more. Continue. Why haven't you told anyone you're transgender? That was gross. Followed by a stunned silence from the entire tribe and host Jeff Probst. By the way, in case you're not familiar with Survivor, we shouldn't shouldn't assume you know what Survivor is. If you're listening to this show, you probably know. But just in case, uh, take 16 to 20 people, drop them into a tropical island kind of setting. They, they're on teams. They compete against each other. The losing team goes to a tribal council where they vote someone off of the island. So Jeff Varner was the guy who was on the outs. He knew he was going home, and he decides to target Zeke, and that's the way he decides to target him. <laughs> that was insane. He's capable of lying because he's not telling you that he's transgender. Yeah. Uh, it makes the logic of it makes no sense. Wow. The and it's, it seems like just a, a purely mean thing to do. Now I, I, you can't defend what he did. You can you can sort of see that when, you know when these we've seen before when contestants have their backs up against the wall, they'll do almost anything. That's right. We've seen and we've seen other contestants. Uh, you know, they, remember when you know, swearing on their kids' lives used to be such. 
a big, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, an all-encompassing thing. Yep. So we've, we've seen, you know, people have said things that are kind of gross before, but nothing ever on this level. Well, like, what was the guy's name who uh, talked about his grandmother? Uh, it was Johnny. Johnny Fairplay lied yeah. about his grandma dying. <laughs> that was... <laughs> That was at least fun. That was funny. Yeah, it was horrible, but it was it was yeah, it was a game, and it was for entertainment. And he outwitted he, <laughs> he outwitted he did. his his uh, fellow contestants. How's grandma? She died, dude. That's what his friend told him when he came to visit. <laughs> she died, dude. <laughs> but uh, I was heartened by how the tribe reacted. Jeff, I'm arguing for my life. I feel like I've got to throw everything at the wall. Outing somebody is. I'm not uh, outing him. You are yes, just, you just outing just him. Just nobody has the right to out anybody. I agree with Ty. Seriously. It was for Zeke like, to discuss like when like, he on. was comfortable discussing it. In two seasons I've played Survivor, I've told nobody. So he did not tell Jeff Varner. Varner, who is also gay, he figured it out because he says he's a he's a an advocate for LGBTQ community in North Carolina. So I guess he just figured it out and, and outs him like that. But I was actually, Jeff, uh, inspired by the way Zeke handled it. If metamorphosis is the word of the episode, I feel like I've seen such a metamorphosis of myself over the past, I think today is day 52 that I've played Survivor. And I don't know that like the scared kid who hit the mat in the marooning at 33 would be as calm as I am right now. But I've started two fires with just bamboo. I've won challenges. I've been part of blind sides. I've done all kinds of crazy stuff, and I am a changed, stronger, better man today than I was then. So you know what? Varner was really not cool, but like you know, I'm fine. Yeah. The the takeaway I t- I read this comment that really sticks with me, and it's that a uh, network television show had a 10 minute uh, you know discussion about the dignity of transgender people, which you just never see. So that's a step forward in the right direction there. Yeah. And as I was weirdly as it came about, it was, ended up being inspiring, emotional. I actually cried watching the tribal council. It was, I thought it was amazing uh, to see. And there, they took some heat. There was some controversy as to why they needed to air it. But I think in the end, it was the right thing to do. Zeke was involved in the whole process. And glad too. They, they, you know, checked to make sure that they were making the right decision on it. It wasn't just for ratings and they didn't advertise it like that either. Yeah. Uh, so again, if you, if you want to recap, if you want to watch that episode of Survivor, you can do so on uh, globaltv.com uh, or likely a shot on demand as well. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. This is 680 CJOB.